It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, Las Vegas? Happy Tuesday. PTL time. Pushing the limits on KSHP. Glad you could join us. Not just on the AM dial, but we are broadcasting video as well as audio. Can you believe that? Technology everywhere on Twitter. Pushing Limits LV on my Twitter page. On the Facebook fan page, Pushing the Limits Facebook. My personal Facebook page. Also broadcasting live, streaming on YouTube. So we are everywhere. And we got a jam-packed show lined up for you today. Oh, yeah, we got some great guests. So, of course, the abortion issue is a big issue. It's all over the place. Everybody's talking about it, right? So an organization that's made the rounds on Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, organization called uh, Students for Life. It's a pro-life organization. Anti-abortion. So the Southwest uh, Regional Coordinator of this group, Jordan Britton, is going to be joining us. Coming up in hour number two. They are a pro-life organization, and as I said, they are making the rounds everywhere. So it should be an interesting debate, because anybody who knows listening to this show, I am pro-choice. So we'll be speaking with Jordan Burton coming up in hour number two. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, this is a guy I've interviewed before. His name is Joel Gilbert. Not to be confused with Joey Gilbert, by the way. Very similar names. This is not Joey Gilbert, although they both might have similar uh, positions on some issues. Joel Gilbert is a... Uh, He's a filmmaker. He's a documentary filmmaker. So he filmed The Trayvon Hoax, uh, a documentary that really was dedicated to attacking uh, Trayvon Martin and defending George Zimmerman. I I disagreed with with the stance on that. Well, this gentleman has a new film that is out called Michelle Obama 2024, her real-life story and plan for power. A lot of things in this film that I disagree with. So we're going to talk to Joel Gilbert coming up here in just a few. we got Chris Wynn joining me in studio to uh, kind of help me out uh, with some of these guests that we have on today that I would imagine we will both disagree with. Chris, thank you for being here. How's it going, my man? It's going great. Good to be here, Brian. Good to be here, Numchuck, and to PTL listeners out there. And uh, yes, I think that there may be, there may be uh, a little uh, furniture getting tossed around the room, my friend, when it comes to a couple of the guests that you have lined up today. For the show. Well, speaking of furniture being <laughs> tossed around the room, I don't it's know if you got. I'm just being. I don't honest. know. I don't know. I, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to catch any of the January sixth hearings, um, but apparently, uh, no, I haven't heard. I haven't uh, caught any of it, Brian. The, 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 uh, <laughs> I haven't seen any of it. Well, this I'm, morning, I'm oblivious to it. Yeah. This morning, uh, White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to uh, Mr. Mark Meadows. Mm testified and in my personal opinion uh, a lot of the testimony in the january 6 hearings have been pretty riveting and, and, and making donald trump and his staff look pretty bad but to me this was the worst and that testimony by the way just ended right before we got on the air hutchinson said a lot of things under oath including that rudy giuliano and meadows both asked donald trump for pardons the plethora of advisors to donald trump that told him when january 6th happened to call them away get the protesters out of there 
put a video, walk a few feet down to the press room and call out the violence and say it needs to stop. She also said that <laughs> Donald Trump attacked a Secret Service manager. Uh, this, is, this is what she said. This is Meadows. She said that Trump lunged at a Secret Service member's steering wheel when told he couldn't go to the Capitol. <laughs> he also said that he had hissy fits. I mean, this is really incredible. Uh, White House said uh, Hutchinson also said uh, she had to literally clean dripping ketchup off the wall after President Trump's temper tantrum in the Oval Office. I mean, uh, some of this testimony really is incredible. Not shocking, not surprising. And I thought they did a really good job in questioning her, and she seemed to be very honest with her answers. And this is not over yet. These hearings are not over yet. But this is, again, just another step of damning evidence against Donald Trump and his staff. And I thought that Hutchinson's testimony was pretty riveting. And uh, obviously this was somebody that Donald Trump did not want up there testifying, Chris. I'm blown away, Mr. Shapiro, by these new revelations and details that have come to light in the January 6th hearings. I mean, are you kidding me? How many times do I need to say it? It's par for the course. How many little quip, quips and phrases do I need to bring up when discussing the culpability of the former president of the United States and January 6th and what has transpired here? It's all pretty much disgraceful. It's all pretty much unacceptable. It's all pretty much something that is unprecedented, that hasn't happened before, and that should be disqualifying to Donald Trump to run ever for public office in this country again. That's it. I don't know what else to say. You just, you know, it's, it seems like every single day there's more details and evidence that comes to light that makes the former president and the people around him sheds them in a horrible light. Okay, and this is just one more example of it. Hutchinson, I don't know what else to say. Hutchinson, I really don't, Brian. Hutchinson I really don't. told uh, committee members that she heard Trump say he didn't care that his supporters, some of his supporters, had weapons that day. <laughs> Apparently, that's what he told some of his staff. Again, she's under oath, and this is somebody who <laughs> yeah. worked for Meadows. She has no reason to lie. And many of the people, uh, you know, we see more text messages that Laura Ingram sent to Meadows and that Sean Hannity sent to Meadows. Yeah. The interesting thing about some of Laura Ingram's text, it goes to show you the lack of character that she has. She's just an awful person. So she basically texted Meadows, and she wasn't concerned about the safety of any of the officers. She was concerned about Donald Trump's legacy. That's what she texted uh, Meadows. On a day where police officers were being injured, people were dying. The only thing that Laura Ingram cared about in texting Mark Meadows was Donald Trump's legacy because Laura Ingram is a piece of human garbage. She's a piece of scum. She's an evil racist witch. That's what she cared about. When Sean Hannity texted Meadows, he also said, this is bad for all of us. This is bad for us. Uh, He wasn't thinking about the people that were being injured that day or overthrowing our democracy. By the way, Sean Hannity did tell Meadows to instruct Trump to stop talking about the election being stolen. Meanwhile, since January 6th, every single day, uh, it seems like Sean Hannity spreads those lies about election integrity. I mean, they are just some of the most despicable people uh, on the planet. Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, 
Uh, these people are just, uh, they're just, they're just scum of the earth, and they have been exposed. But yet that doesn't change a lot of people's minds. There are still millions of people in this country have had the opportunity. They would absolutely vote for Donald Trump. They, these are the same people that watch Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram every night. You are not going to change their mind. It doesn't matter how many people are under oath. It doesn't, many, it doesn't matter how many people testify under oath that Donald Trump incited this, that he did nothing about it. Which he, which he did, by the way, he did absolutely nothing. It took him until 4 p.m. that day to, to say anything. You know, we're now learning uh, through more testimony that Donald Trump said, I'm the effing president. Take me to the Capitol now. Trump wanted to go with the armed insurrection mob because they weren't there to hurt me. That's what Donald Trump said. They're not there to hurt me. By the way, this was when they were chanting, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. By the way, Mike Pence, another piece of human scum. And I have no doubt that if any of those people during that insurrection had a chance, they would have killed Mike Pence. They would have killed Nancy Pelosi and Ocasio-Cortez. These were people that were trying to gouge the eyes out of some of these Capitol Police officers. And we're also learning through Hutchinson is that the few people that were with Donald Trump in the Oval Office that day were saying that they needed to deflect and they needed to blame Antifa, that these weren't our people which, by the way, was also a lie. People like Ron Johnson put that narrative out there days and weeks after, and there are still idiots on the right that say Antifa was responsible for January 6th. It's absurd. So I don't know what's going to happen here in the end, but I do believe this. And I didn't say this six months ago. Whether Donald Trump runs or not, I do believe that the January 6th hearings, to me, and this is my personal opinion, are the end of the road for Donald Trump as far as him running for office and winning ever again. I don't believe he's going to hold office ever again. I do believe these January 6th hearings are going to put an end to that. Now, he still can be involved in politics, but I don't believe, and he can still run, but I don't believe he's going to win. I don't think he's going to be a person who, who is going to win a seat in office. That could be a president or something else. I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be criminal liability here. I hope there is. I think there's enough evidence but I don't know if Garland is going to do the right thing. I hope Garland does the right thing. Very difficult. It's very difficult to charge a former president, current or former president, with a crime. I believe the evidence is overwhelming. And now we've seen, uh, Chris, you know, with Mike McDonald and many of these other politicians across the country, the FBI now starting to get involved. So maybe if not for the January 6th hearings, maybe Mike McDonald's phone does not get seized by the FBI. So I give them credit for putting out this information, especially when it comes to fake electorates, which is a crime. If proven, that is a crime. You are trying to overthrow our democracy. That is a crime. So we are already seeing an investigation by the FBI. So you cannot say the January 6th hearings are for nothing because we're already seeing phones being seized. We are seeing things being done already by our Justice Department. By the way, this could be just the beginning. The hearings aren't even over yet. So I think that's a good thing moving forward. Address a couple things that you said with respect to the former president getting back into politics is what you said. He's never been that guy. That's never been Donald Trump's kind of M.O. He's not really a political figure. He's not really somebody who has an agenda. He's not really somebody that has an ideology at all. He has been from day one a transactional individual, someone who gets by and gets by. He likes to focus on social issues that are, you know, that may be popular during the day. It, he was a president 
that essentially got by day to day talking about social issues, right? Someone who always loved to chime in when it came to issues that were on the forefront from, from a social standpoint. Obviously, another part of his legacy also is going to be the Supreme Court, which, of course, is something we're going to be talking about all day today regarding Roe versus Wade, because during his presidency, the Republicans were able to nominate and confirm three conservatives to the Supreme Court, which has now already, in the first two years that, that Amy Coney Barrett and Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh have been on the Supreme Court, already has had earth-shattering impacts and decisions. But it's also basically going to frame the Supreme Court for the next probably 20, 30 years. That is what people will remember the Trump presidency necessarily for. Not necessarily Donald Trump's political strategy or his approach to politics, if you understand what I'm saying. That's not, that's not necessarily what he is. And look, you just echoed everything that I've said on this show the last couple of weeks and what you've said numerous times on this show. The rubber needs to meet the road. You talked about how there's already been charges that have come forth because of these January 6th committee hearings, because of what's transpired here. But people, they, they want people to have to pay the price. We need to have individuals who were responsible for January 6th pay the piper and actually face the music when it comes to their involvement in what took place on that horrible day in American history. So tomorrow on the show, uh, certainly we will review and, and yeah. talk about the hearings in, in a little bit more great detail. But I can tell you right now, Hutchinson and her testimony today certainly didn't help Donald Trump's cause. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, we learned a little bit more. We got a little bit more uh, as far as truth goes. All right. So yeah. we're going to take a break. And when we come back, um, we're going to have a, a guy who's done several documentaries, including the, the Trayvon hoax. Uh, I had him on a few years ago uh, in regards to that. Also, a new documentary that's out right now. It's called Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. Does not shed Michelle Obama in a very positive light. I'm going to ask him why. Uh, why go after Michelle Obama? Well, he believes that Michelle Obama is going to run for president in 2024. Uh, his name is Joel Gilbert. He's a, a director, uh, and he put this documentary that just came out. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, if Michelle Obama runs for office in 2024, I don't care who she runs against. I believe she will win. So it wouldn't be surprised me at all if she ran in 2024. Quite frankly, I hope she does. So uh, we'll talk to Joel Gilbert coming up next. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. All right, welcome back. Uh, Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. So glad that you can join us. We'll get back to the January 6th hearings a little bit later on in the show. And as I mentioned, coming up at the top of the hour, Jordan Britton joining us from Students for Life, a, a pro-life organization. So I've said there are three people I believe that can beat the Republicans uh, for the presidency in 2024 if the election was tomorrow. I've said if Hillary Clinton runs again, I think she would have a chance. She did win the popular vote in 2016. I've also thrown out Oprah Winfrey, but the third name I throw out there is Michelle Obama. I believe Michelle, if Michelle Obama does run in 2024, she would beat Trump, and I believe she would beat DeSantis. So the guy we have with us on the line right now, he is a documentary filmmaker. I've had him on the show before, the Trayvon Hoax, one film that he's talked about I've had on in years past. He's got a new film out called Michelle Obama 2000. 2024, her real life story and plan for power. Joel Gilbert joining us right now on the line. Joel, I appreciate you coming on. How are you? 
Great to be back. Thanks so much. Sure. Okay. So uh, for starters, why did you make this film about Michelle Obama? Why did you decide to do this? Uh, I just was observing Michelle Obama that uh, she came out with her autobiography uh, called Becoming in 2018. Uh, Rather than kind of fading away into some kind of project, she went all politics all the time. And I noticed she was following the exact same formula that Barack had done run for president. Uh, Obama based his candidacy on his book, Dreams from My Father, his personal story. Uh, Michelle also was the keynote speaker for Joe Biden at the virtual Democrat convention in 2020, same as Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry in 2004. Uh, The keynote speaker slot is usually assigned to the person that they think will be the nominee at the next convention. And then, of course, Barack started his political career in 1992 with a voter registration organization called Project Vote. Michelle did the exact same thing. She founded an organization called When We All Vote. And uh, she was just here in LA the other day giving a fiery campaign speech about every Democrat talking point. So I identified that she's really following the exact same path. As you mentioned, she's probably the most popular person on the planet. Uh, You know, 50 million Instagram followers, 20 million on Twitter. And she's all politics all the time. So I knew that the media had been so reverential to her over the years that no one really looked into her real background. So I figured I'll go ahead and look into it and do a, a book and a film project to kind of show what she's really all about. And I really discovered a completely different history of her real story than she's been promoting all these years. And then the media has been pushing as well. So you can go to MichelleObama24.com, get the book or the film pre-order for July 11. And it's uh, really shocking, uh, her real-life story. Very, very different than what you might think. Well, I, I mean, I, I saw an expert, uh, of, uh, excerpt of your film. Uh, I can tell you right now, if the election was tomorrow, I would vote for Michelle Obama, not because I'm a Democrat or Republican. I have a lot more respect for Michelle Obama than, than I would uh, Melania Trump, who came to this country and posed naked, has no education, marries Donald Trump. I mean, why didn't she do a documentary on Melania Trump? I guess that's what confuses me a little yeah. bit. Well, what it is, is uh, people don't know the media has just been reverential to Michelle. They haven't looked into her, her real past. For example, if you knew that Michelle, uh, she tells stories of uh, growing up during the era of white flight. If you knew that it was, in fact, Michelle Robinson and her brother, Craig Robinson, that fled the black community. There was a black high school one block from their house. And they both went to private and exclusive can I, schools. Can I stop you there? Because I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, can I just ask? I, I want to yeah, ask you about that because that's a very yeah. important point that you brought up. As you know, Joel, and I, and I know you, you talk about that in the documentary, just because her parents wanted her to go to a private school yeah. doesn't mean she's fleeing black people. Exactly. Could it just possibly mean that her family wanted to give her a better education? Yeah. I know people all the time that go from public school to private school. It doesn't mean yeah. they're fleeing black people. It means maybe they just want a better education. Why do you correlate okay. that to fleeing black people? Yeah, good point. Well, first of all, again, you got to see the film. There's so much information that people don't know about. For example, when she was only... Uh, five years old, her mother registered her illegally at Bryn Mawr Elementary in South Shore, which is not part of the South Side, to avoid Dulles Elementary School, where they live near the projects. Uh, also, it's a it's lying about it. Michelle lies about it and says, oh, the white people were running away from black people in my neighborhood. And it really was Michelle Robinson and her brother, they were always fleeing every opportunity they had to learn with black people, to study with them. They were out of there. 
Uh, okay, but can the, you answer my question yeah. though? Why, yeah, you avoid why the question. Is it, totally, why yeah. is it that you correlate somebody going to a public school, a black family, go, going to yes. a private school as fleeing black people? Can't that just be that her family wanted a better, better education for her? Hundred percent. That's the, that's the truth. Her family wanted a better education, and they could see that the schools in their neighborhood were going to perhaps hold them back. Right. So yeah. What's wrong with that? So what's wrong? Right, with nothing that? wrong with it. But Michelle could be honest about it and and say she runs around saying. Uh, I went to public school in my neighborhood. She did. I we didn't we couldn't afford public schools. So you find out that those are all lies. And that's part of her building a story about her childhood where she claims to care about the South Side and care about the black community. And I trace you may not be so excited about voting for her, for example, if you knew what she was up to in her professional career in Chicago, I go into great detail. Uh, you probably don't know that she was involved in the redevelopment scheme at the Mayor Daly's uh, office with Valerie Jarrett, where her job was to help remove black people from projects and they knock down these projects near downtown Chicago to make way for the white developers and elites who wanted land that was so valuable next to downtown. They gave away the land to people like Tony Rezzo and his Democrat donors after removing the black people and taking away their homes. You probably don't know much about Michelle's illegal patient dumping scheme. She was hired by the University of Chicago to head up the Southside Health Collaborative because the University of Chicago was losing too much money from poor black patients who were coming into the ER who couldn't afford to pay. So Michelle's job was to prevent the Southsiders from receiving health care, and they would literally dump them in these vans and drop them off at these crappy neighborhood clinics. So Michelle, in her professional career in Chicago, was always hired by white elites to deal with black people, to take away their services and homes, things that they couldn't get away with themselves. So you learn from watching my film and reading the book, the, the hypocrisy of it that Michelle, as a politician, pretends to be one of these ordinary black people she exploited all her life in order to manipulate them to get their votes. She does the same thing by telling stories of racial discrimination. She's been telling this story for 15 years about how her high school counselor racially profiled her regarding Princeton application. I'm the first one that found out her high school counselor was a black woman who was an assistant principal. So the stories Michelle tells as a politician have nothing to do with reality. And I think when people see the film and, and uh, read the book, you, you tend to learn a lot more than just saying, oh, well, she's so great, I just want to vote for her. You get a more realistic perspective of what she's... Uh, I, I would just about. say that it is possible for somebody black to racially profile somebody else that is black. Uh, I, I don't think that's... But what I would say is, uh, you know, I know she was an assistant commissioner of planning and development in Chicago City Hall. Then she became the founding executive director of Chicago Chapter of Public Allies. 96, right. she joins the University of Chicago as an associate dean of student services. She earned a bachelor's degree from Princeton University. Uh, uh, she, the, the Harvard Law School. Now, you can disagree with some of the decisions that she made, and that's fine, and I think that's a fair conversation to have, but this is a very intelligent woman who has uh, multiple degrees. She's worked her whole life. I don't know if you've ever talked about some of the positives she's done in her life. The initiative Let's Move, a program aiming to end childhood obesity within a generation. I couldn't name you one thing that Melania Trump did besides make tennis courts in front of the White House and take uh, you know her husband's money. I don't know what else Melania Trump has done. I mean, we can disagree 
disagree on policy. I know you're a Republican, and that's fine, and I think that's very fair. But to go after her blackness like you do in this film, because that's really what you do. You go after her blackness, and then you talk about how she's speaking in a way, for lack of a better term, ebonics, when she speaks to uh, you know uh, prospective voters. I just think uh, for somebody white to be talking about somebody black and saying you're not black enough is very insensitive, and I would say borderline racist. Well, certainly I don't judge or say whether she's black enough. The, uh, the viewer of the, the film can certainly look at that issue. It is an interesting issue about how people in the black community had a problem with Barack Obama when he ran for president initially. And even when he ran for Congress in Chicago, the concern was if the media raised, is he black enough? Will black voters accept him? And the situation with Barack Obama was always that they said, well, he's a, you know, from Hawaii, he's a multiracial family, they did not consider him someone who had experienced the uh, struggles of the black community in urban America, and they did not support him initially. It was only years later, with the help of Michelle, that he was able to gain support from the black community. Interestingly, Michelle has similar issues as Barack. She never had really any experiences with lower class or, or uh, educational experiences with black people. As I mentioned, in her employment experiences, she was hired by white elites to deal with black people, to move them out of their homes or take away their health care. And she was always someone that was favored by white elites to do these jobs that white people could not do. So when you see the film and, the, and read the book, you learn a tremendous amount about this internal issue in the black community about who's considered authentic and who's not. Uh, someone from a mixed race family, not necessarily considered authentic enough. So that's something you learn about. It's very fascinating. And uh, you go to michelleobama24.com, you can see the trailer and pre-order the, uh, the DVD and the book. So, Joel, uh, this is Chris Wynn, the resident Democrat right now live in studio, uh, co-hosting with Brian on the show. Now, look, uh, when I think about Joel, Brian, and you brought up, you know, look, you, you talked about how it, says, it seems like it's board, you said it's borderline racist, basically, is what you just called Joel. You just called him borderline racist. I will say this. When I think about Joel Gilbert, okay, my words for Joel, I mean, I got to be honest, Joel, my words are passive absurdity, okay? Because you seem like a very mild-mannered, a very nice guy. You seem like somebody who's, who's very mellow, okay? But at the same time, a lot of your projects, regardless of it's Michelle Obama or Barack Obama or Tra- the Trayvon Martin case, uh, you know, everything except for the stuff you've done from a musical standpoint, right? The Bob Dylan stuff, which, you know, you're a music fan and you're somebody who's actually a musician. So that means I, I would lend some credibility towards that. But a lot of your stuff is associated with unsubstantiated claims. You yourself, Joel, are associated with someone that doesn't have any credibility. So this is my one question to you, Joel, that I'm going to contribute to this because I think this is very problematic even having you on because I don't think that you have any credibility whatsoever when it comes to somebody's talking. No, Joel, but I'll ask you the question. question. Joel, let me ask you the question, okay? How come no credible outlet whatsoever other than the Stone Zone on Lindell TV, where you went on and had a chance to talk to, uh, by the way, you claim you're friends with Roger Stone, a convicted felon, someone who is uh, just an absolutely yeah, atrocious figure. you have a question Okay, so the me? question, yes, guess, the question is this. Why, how, why does no credible outlet whatsoever, okay, why is no credible ever, uh, outlet having you on the air to talk about okay, this latest project you have? That's the question. I can answer your question. Why? I can answer your question. Yes. Uh, this, this film uh, and website was only announced yesterday morning at 5.30 a.m. So there's less, a little over 24 hours. 
So I appreciate that you guys are having me on. Maybe you have a misunderstanding about uh, how well this should have been, you know, disseminated yet. Uh, Roger Stone saw an early version of it, so he had me on. You yeah. guys are having me on. I have my schedule full of interviews. Okay, so you have up. you have a set something Maybe. set for July eleventh, right, for the National Hopefully, Press Club. That, yeah, by the way, is not they, they're not they're not uh, they're not sponsoring it. They're not supporting no, it whatsoever. Only, I don't know. So, I don't know. We only twenty. I'm finishing. We're not even a little over twenty four hours into the promotion. So don't worry about the promotion. If you want to maybe watch the okay. film and come back when you get a little more information, yeah. we can talk more. But there's no reason to attack the promotion of the film when it's only a little over 24 okay. hours. I'm not going to attack um, the promotion of the film, Joel, but I, but let me let me ask it to yeah. you a different way. Okay, Joel, and listen, I've had you on the show several times before. I'm happy to have you on and have a debate with you. We obviously disagree on a lot of topics, but I have to ask you this. You have associated yourself with somebody of the likes of Alex Jones, somebody who said the Connecticut school shooting didn't happen. Yeah, look, let me let me I know where you're going with this. Look, uh, a lot of conservative filmmakers have trouble getting on the Today Show. I was on the Today Show, luckily, for the Trayvon Martin. Notes. I was on the Today Show. I've been mm-hmm. on MSNBC. Yes. But normally, if someone wants to talk about a film and uh, learn about the information like yourselves, even if they're hostile, even if they have issues that I disagree with, like your your co-host there, you know, was pretty hostile, angry about the promotion because in 24 hours I haven't on the Today Show yet. So I don't worry too much about the interviewers. I know I dis- you disagree with certain things. You have certain uh, preconceived notions, and I don't mind that. We'll talk about those. So I don't judge the hosts of the shows. Anybody that wants to talk, I'll talk about my project. I don't endorse everything you say. Okay. I, I understand. I, I understand. Say. I appreciate there's, that. There's a big effort, especially in the liberal media, to say if you do an interview with somebody, you have to agree with everything they say. I don't want you, Joel. The reason why so that's a little bit. Well, that's, that's not what I'm talking hold about. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Joel. The reason why. Hold on. You help your listeners learn yes. about this project. Joel. The reason why. The reason why I have you on is because different hosts. The reason I don't obsess. I don't go on. You know. Uh, Fox News and they obsess over what you say. We I, talk about the we talk about the the film. Talk about I understand, the, the Joel. Listeners, Joel. I understand that one of the reasons why I like having you on is because we disagree on a lot of things. That's why I welcome you we on. I I, you. I have somebody yeah. I have somebody coming on at the top of the hour that's pro life. I'm I'm pro choice. So I mean I want people on that disagree. The the right. question I have for you is, you you do this documentary on Michelle Obama. Have you ever done any documentaries criticizing any Republican? I don't recall you ever criticizing Melania yeah. Trump or Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, I've, I've made about 15, uh, maybe 18 full-length feature films. For instance, my uh, 2007 film, which kind of got me the most notoriety when I first stopped making music history films, was called Farewell Israel, Bush, Iran, and the Revolt of Islam. Mm-hmm. Very, very critical of George Bush's Middle East policy, explaining why his uh, you know, Iraq invasion was, was, was nuts complete misunderstanding of the Middle East, complete understanding of the Islamic movement, and explaining uh, how the, the Islamic world views the West and the history of the West in Islam. So this was the very first political documentary I ever made was heavily criticizing George Bush. I did some film screenings for Democrat audiences, for universities. I did quite a few interviews. So it runs the gamut between music, between mm-hmm. politics and history. And uh, I would not get caught up in saying that one is uh, favoring one or the other. All right, let's go back to Michelle Obama. And by the way, for just joining us, he's Joel Gilbert. New documentary out called Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power book and film. So you've said Michelle Obama has manipulated voters. You said that you've called her a big phony. And again, I do want to talk about Michelle Obama 
Would you say, though, Donald Trump is a big phony? I'm just curious. Look, I think all politicians uh, put forth certain uh, you know, issues and experiences uh, to, to create a narrative. And I don't think Donald Trump is any different. Uh, you know, he had a lot of issues. Sometimes he's honest about him. Sometimes he's not. Uh, this book and this film about Michelle Obama shows that there's a, just a very, very big gap between her shtick and her story she's been telling since 2008 of a, you know, poor kid from a, you know, poor family that suffered discrimination and was held back in life because of her skin color versus the reality of what I found out by talking to her classmates, boyfriends, co-workers, uh, teachers, her principal, uh, you name it. I even met her mother. So does that mean uh, she's never been the victim? So she, you get she, a, a firsthand look at what Michelle understood. really is all about. But do you I mean, her high school her high school boyfriend told me Michelle had a great time. Nothing held her back. She took full advantage. You know, so we need more honesty with politicians. And certainly Michelle's story that she keeps pushing about, uh, you know, being held back in life. It's, it's a hide a very privileged childhood from a political family. Most people don't know that her father was a precinct captain for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. Uh, people don't know about that. She grew up in Jesse Jackson's house, best friend of his daughter, Santita. So you learn a great deal about Michelle. Most people say 80% of the information in the film and the book they did not know. I would also say her father was a pump operator for the Chicago Water Department, so I wouldn't say that uh, the family were a bunch of millionaires either. But uh, I guess it, it goes back to, without saying, how do you know that Michelle Obama was never the victim of racism? You weren't around her every day. I understand in your film you talk to some people that know her and might make claims, hey, she, she was privileged, she had this, she had that. But let's be honest, Joel, you and I are white. We don't know what it's like to be a black person living in America. Michelle Obama, regardless of how much money her family may or may not have had, regardless of who her family knew, she's still a black woman living in America, and I'm not going to discount her if she says at times in her life she was the victim of racism. How can you do that? Yeah, two points. Uh, the father's job as a pump operator was called a patronage job. It was given by the Democrat Party machine in exchange for getting out the votes, being precinct captain. So that's how that was all tied together, actually. And you learn all about that in the film and a great deal in the book. Uh, look, uh, I talked to multiple classmates of Michelle, teachers, principals, friends, uh, across from kindergarten. And they all told the same story of... Uh, you know, it was not a, a, a racial kid. upbringing. I mean, uh, it was kid. not something that she was suffering from. And the few stories she does, the only story she ever tells of suffering discrimination is at the hands of black kids. She talks about being beat up, being accused of acting white and talking white. And she even says, it's in the movie, you can watch it. She says, there was fear. I was afraid to go out of the house. I was afraid to go around the neighborhood. She talks about it in her book, Becoming. She got in a fist fight with a, a black girl, uh, and I found out what that was about because this black girl called her an Oreo, which was black on the outside, white on the inside. So Michelle's struggle with race growing up was from black kids accusing her of acting white, which Michelle explains means you have like an attitude that you think better than everybody else. So we know about her experience with racial discrimination, and it's black people accusing her of being white. Her brother talked about it. 
Which is also wrong, which is also wrong. I think we all can condemn that sort of behavior. I don't care whether it's somebody black accusing her of being white or a white person, you know, being, uh, you know, discriminatory towards her because he's black. I think we all could agree that's wrong and that's awful. Uh, And and when she talks about. So, yeah, right. When you watch the film, you see all I put together all these pieces when she did the book Becoming. She went on a a book tour for like 50 cities, 20,000 seat arenas, and she would do these interviews for like two hours in addition to the book. So I put all these interviews together and really get a picture of the real Michelle Obama, what her childhood was like, her childhood, her education, uh, what she did working for the mayor of Chicago, what she did working for the University of Chicago Med Center, and how she helped Barack become president. I make the case that it was because of Michelle that Barack became president. He never would have been president without her. And he helped her over, she helped him overcome these two major obstacles, which I talk about in the film. Number one was that he was pretty much considered a, an elitist Harvard lawyer and didn't connect very well with voters. And also that black voters weren't buying in. They didn't consider him to be one of them. So she did a lot of things. She, I show how she dressed down. She went away from being this big Gold Coast fashionista with Maria Pinto and Ikram Goldman, all these fashion designers that I visited in Chicago. She used to be on the top of the best dress list she shows up on the campaign trail kind of dressing like a homeless person. She doesn't comb her hair. She's wearing like a T-shirt. And she wants to make people think that she's just a regular housewife. Of course, when she got elected, she went back to being this uh, big fashionista. The other thing she did, which you alluded to earlier, she would go to these black audiences. And instead of her perfect English and perfect diction, she would start dropping her G's. She would use double negatives and put on this kind of urban accent, which was pretty phony because she doesn't talk like that. But it was a manipulative effort through her clothing and through her uh, style of speech to get voters on board for Barack. And she was ultimately successful with it, though it was all you know, very phony and dishonest. Well, Brian, Brian, let me chime in real quick book. here. This is it's a real kind of strange dynamic yet going on here, Joel, because in some ways, in some ways, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I want your response. In some ways, you're almost praising Michelle Obama for her political savvy and the way that she's been able to kind of set herself up. Look, she's the first. I mean, I, I'm just going to state facts here. She uh, is a very accomplished woman. This is a woman that went to two Ivy League schools. She has a post degree. Uh, by the way, the last four first ladies uh, have uh, postgraduate degrees, which is pretty impressive. Um, she's the first ever African-American black woman to be the first lady of the United States. She is an accomplished woman on her own. It's not, she's not just on the arm of the former President Barack Obama of the United States. So you're, in many ways, you're praising her, but at the same time, it's also very troubling and very... Uh, it's just weird. i got to be honest, Brian. Right? What, and Joel, is, it's weird how you... you, 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 you I, no, I'm, I'm making on. a point, and I want, to, you I want you to respond to what I'm saying. Okay? Because you, don't, because you don't... By the way, you, it, Brian's asked you a couple of questions that you just avoided and just not answer. You just go so. on your own tangent. Well, why don't you go so, and ask me So a here it is. I, I'm not asking you a question. I want, I'm, gonna make, I'm, I'm, I'm making a statement, right? And I want you to respond to it. You have this juxtaposition where you, you kind of yeah, praise Michelle Obama, but then you're... But also, you have this weird... Uh, uh, and also the, and what I mean by weird is you, you yeah, almost think, you almost act like the by the way it's the yeah, Robinson family that grew up on the south side of Chicago okay that, yeah. that Michelle Obama came from okay the Robinson family you almost have an idea in your head and like and, and I'll use an analogy where they were twisting their mustache to put Michelle 
and uh, and her future husband in a position where they are today. It's just kind of strange. You got to be honest. Well, let me let me respond. Okay. Yeah. Look, Michelle Obama is a great American success story. Her family, uh, you know, they moved from the she south is. side of Chicago to South Shore. They got mm -hmm. out of poor schools. They went to better schools. They're a great American success story. Success story. Michelle is America. She was able to go to a uh, gifted school. No question. Her parents uh, yeah. saved up and sent the brother to a private Catholic school, even though they weren't Catholic. They went to Princeton. Michelle went to Harvard. Yeah. It's, it, Michelle is an American story. Nothing wrong with that. But when she wants to be a politician, rather than being honest about it and say, I was successful because of America, she doesn't talk about her uncle who went to Harvard and who uh, was a huge success businessman. Instead of saying that, you know, this is America, she comes up with these stories about, well, the first time in my life I'm proud of my country and I was held back in life because of everyone telling me I couldn't do things. All that is not true. It's a political manipulation to uh, try to get voters on board to identify with her when, in fact, she is a very successful hospital executive, Harvard, Ivy League elite. But nobody gave her anything, wears, though, Joel. Wears, uh, she busted know, her backside to get where she is. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. So well, what I do is I help you read between the lines and learn about her real-life history and her real story and what she's really all about and about her real success and not you you learn very different story than what she wants people to buy into with her autobiography becoming where she talks about these imagined struggles and these struggles and things holding her back and overcoming all these obstacles which which didn't exist so again it's michelle obama oh. you really learn a great deal about her i think it's a great service there's six biographies about michelle and they're all just puff pieces this is the first biography that goes in between the lines and looks at what her real life history is the problem that i have is that many Republicans out there, maybe some of the people that you spoke to, maybe some of her classmates, if you're a staunch Republican, you're not going to like Michelle Obama. You're going to say things about her that are not going to be positive. The problem I have is that did you speak to actual Democrats and people that support her? Did you speak in this documentary to her actual real friends and people that she still talks to this very day? Or the people that you spoke to or people that are staunch Republicans that don't like her? Did you get both sides? Did you speak to her friends? Did you actually speak to Democrats that still talk to her on a regular basis? Yeah. Did you speak to yeah, one I, Democrat? I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I spoke to any Republicans. All the people I spoke to, her, her friends, her classmates from kindergarten, the boy who gave her her first kiss in first grade, her high school classmates, her hairstyles. These are all, yeah. these are all Democrats. Uh, the teachers, the principal, her her professor at Har at uh, Princeton. These are all yeah. very big Democrat and Obama supporters. So we didn't talk politics. It was really about what did Michelle go through? What was her life history? What was mm -hmm. it like in high school so here's, in Chicago at that time? Gotcha. What was it like? You okay. Know, at, so let what me. Was the, what was the what was the situation at Princeton like? So that gotcha. you got to watch the film. Okay. I really like to I will. on after I will. you guys watch the movie. I will. It's, only been, it's not released yet. It's I will. released on Joel, I will. I watched the Trayvon hoax, and I promise you that I will watch this film. But mm -hmm. tell me where I have this wrong, Joel. We can disagree on maybe some of her speeches, and maybe she overemphasizes things, and you can call it you know, not being truthful or pandering. We can, we can you know, disagree on that, and we can talk about That's fine. Tell me where I have it wrong here. Here is a woman who made something of herself. A black woman raised in this country. I don't care whether her family 
family was wealthy or poor. And by the way, they weren't extremely wealthy. Here's a woman who went to Harvard Law School, got her bachelor's degree from Princeton University. Here's a woman who wasn't given anything on a silver platter. She worked her ass off her whole entire life. This is a woman that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. This is not a Lauren Boebert. I don't see you doing documentaries on Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert's of the world. Lauren Boebert, someone who got her GED when she decided she was going to run for office. I'm sure you would agree with me, Joel. There are people in Congress right now that have no education. They don't have 2% of the resume that Michelle Obama has. So again, my question is... Amen to that. I appreciate the fact, Joel, that you did that documentary on George W. Bush. I am not a George W. Bush fan myself. Why not do documentaries on people that do not deserve to be where they're at? Marjorie Taylor Greens, for example. Lauren that's what Brian, that's what about ism though. That's what about ism, yeah. Look, uh, typically I've made films about people that are kind of on the cutting edge of what's happening politically or musically. Uh, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, uh, the Islamic uh, struggle, uh, Islamism, uh, you know, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. I did a course of comedy on him. So you can't really hope to be successful making documentaries on marginal figures. Uh, Michelle Obama is a a world-renowned figure, the most popular person on the planet. And I saw a big disparity between the story she tells about all these obstacles in life and her stories of... Uh, you don't believe she had any obstacles yeah. in her life? It's just it, it, more... He's giving if, more praise to Michelle Obama. Look, her general weird. thing, yeah. she chronically tries to manipulate voters, particularly in the black community, telling stories of racial discrimination, telling stories of being held back in life in order to manipulate them to gain their political support. Mm-hmm. When you look at the reality, what did she really do in her life? Quite well, a lot. She worked the mayor of Chicago yeah. and knocked down the projects to hand over the land to to developers, to for the Democratic donors. She worked at the University of Chicago Med Center, where she fronted the Southside Health Collaborative. I know you had mentioned that. I, I, I understand you. you had, access for health care to the Southsiders. And there are people in Chicago. I understand, and there are people in Chicago that would that would that would uh, dispute she, that. What she actually did, and what she wants your support for. Understood. And but I'm trying to get a history of you. This is part about, of this community when she really spent her life running away from it or exploiting it. I disagree and that's with that. You, you learn in the film. Again, I disagree with that. You characterize her as running away from the black community because her family yeah. sent her to a private school, and then you agree with me, so you can't. I mean, again, you just use the term manipulate votes. I'm trying to come to a credibility of you, a person who wrote this film. Would you say that Donald Trump manipulates the voters consistently when he says he won the election in 2020? Would you characterize that as manipulating people when he took $250 million from people to fight alleged voter fraud? Did Donald Trump manipulate this country? Uh, I think uh, when Trump ran for office, he said a lot of things. Uh, You know, he went to college or getting out of the draft. I don't I didn't research that complete part of his life, but all politicians are manipulative on some level. The most cynical, manipulative, uh, you know, type of behavior we learn about from Michelle Obama because we look at a life history of exploiting the black community and then as a politician pretending to be one of them and asking for their votes. Uh, I think if you see the film, we'll have a different discussion and you'll see some of these trends I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But the film's all the way from her family before she was born all the way up to present. Who, so you learn a who great do you deal think who do you story. think has been more of a manipulative person their entire life, Michelle Obama or Donald Trump? 
I'll, I, I I don't know. I can't really. Why you can't know, you say answer that? On, on what level? I would say I would say yeah. probably Michelle Obama. Once you watch the film, I think I'd agree with. So me. you think oh. Michelle Obama has manipulated people in her life more than Donald Trump? I has. think she's manipulated voters with very, uh, you know, rudimentary stories, the way she dresses, the way she talks uh, and a false narrative. I think Michelle is going to run for president in 2024 using a story that's more racially divisive and very nearly as fictitious as her husband did to become president. And I think Michelle Obama 2024, I'm sorry, Michelle Obama 2024, her real life story and her plan for power, you're just going to learn about her entire life history. Some things you'll admire and say, hey, why doesn't she talk more about this? For example, in her book, Becoming, best-selling 10 million selling autobiography, she doesn't even mention she went to Harvard Law School. Why not? Uh, she's trying to push this image of Southside girl for political purposes, someone that grew up you know, kind of in a log cabin. She doesn't want to say, I went to Harvard Law because it's an elitist background because uh, she wants your vote. Uh, even her thesis, very interesting. I dissected her thesis at Princeton. They got a lot of bad publicity uh, about Princeton law graduates in the black community. I give you a completely different take on that, that thesis than, than you've heard about. And you learn about her struggles going to Princeton and what she went through and why she wrote that thesis. And you find out, well, why in her book, Becoming, I learned that it's really a political document. It's not an autobiography because she resets history and covers up certain things she doesn't want to talk about. So I identified that book as one of the reasons that I think she's running for president following the same formula that Brock did. Brian, Joel just used the word reality. I think I need to inject this into this conversation with respect to Michelle Obama, okay, again, speaking as someone who's a Democrat, she has not yet even mentioned or even talked about or even, in reality, become any candidate whatsoever for public office. She is the former first lady of the United States. Yes, as Joel has said, she is an extremely popular person. She's an extremely popular Democrat, obviously, okay? But at this point in time, there's been no determination that she's running for president in 2024. Now, look, and I'll agree with you, Joel, and I'll agree with you. Look, you had a conversation with uh, your buddy, Roger Stone, and Roger Stone uh, agrees with you, thinking that there is a possibility Michelle Obama could be in the mix in 2024. But as of today, you know, because you've been talking about how she's doing this to manipulate for votes and all this and that and wants to, you know, create an image and all this. As of right now, today, in late June of 2022, Michelle Obama is not a political candidate, she's never been a political candidate, and she's never run for office in her life. So, I, I mean, it's just, I, I just need to point okay, that me, out. I can comment. Uh, just here in L.A. Uh, on Monday, last Monday, she gave uh, a fiery 45-minute speech touching on every single Democrat talking point at her When We All Vote yeah. rally. So there's no other potential candidate right now running around the country giving political speeches. So you'd say that of anybody. There is no candidate right now. But she's certainly the one that is best positioned. Mm -hmm. She's certainly the one that had the best chance, as you said when you started this program, uh, to win against the Republican because of her popularity. And as I lay out in the film, I think she's laid the groundwork for it. And I think it's time that people really learn the truth about her entire life history and not just accept what the media tells you or looking on the front of Glamour magazines and saying, well, she's you know really nice and uh, really popular. You have to know what her agenda is. She has an agenda and a political background, and she's been political since she was six years old. She used to go around with 
with her father when he was a precinct captain. She grew up in Jesse Jackson's house when he was running for president in the early, the late 70s, early 80s. Well, Joel, listen. She ran for uh, it's streaming, you know, it's class a, treasurer. She was yeah. a politician at Princeton. She was on the Third World Center. She's a very political person. And what happened is when uh, she went too far over the top, people remember from 2008, she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. And there was such backlash. That's when they came up with this thing. They said, well, Michelle hates politics. She just wants to be the mom in chief. So she kind of took a step back because she was too political. But the real Michelle Obama is that very political person that you saw uh, and that you see today. Yep. We just saw here in L.A. last week. Yeah, well, I will watch your film, Joel. Uh, I'll agree to disagree with you. I think the real Michelle Obama, regardless of, of what you say about, you know, pandering, uh, she's an extremely intelligent and educated woman. I do think she cares about this country. And I believe if she does run, she's got my vote. But, hey, we can disagree on that one. Uh, Joel Gilbert, I appreciate your time. Michelle Obama, 2024, her real-life story and plan for power. I will, I will make the promise to you that I will watch the film and I will have you back on. Okay, Joel? Perfect. All right. So much. Appreciate your time. That is uh, Joel Gilbert, uh, Michelle Obama, 2024, her real life story and plan for power. Um, Again, all due respect to Joel. When I ask him, who do you think is more manipulative in their life, Michelle Obama or Donald Trump? And he says Michelle Obama. I think it's a question of credibility. I'm not trying to attack the guy, but, you know, at the same time, when you can't honestly answer that question. Listen, is there a chance that Michelle Obama pandered a little bit and maybe she wants to you know talk a little bit about how she grew up in a poor community and blah 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 the bottom line is this is a black woman who has an unbelievable resume earning her bachelor's from princeton harvard law school nobody could take that away from her nobody handed her anything unlike donald trump who was handled i don't even want to compare the two in the same sentence it's not even it's ridiculous okay michelle obama did not come from a wealthy family just because Again, I'll watch the film because I haven't seen it, but just because he interviewed a few of her classmates and some guy from 50, 60 years ago that gave her a kiss doesn't mean that she didn't have to suffer with racism. It doesn't mean that she didn't have any struggles in her life. But again, we'll have Joel back on the show. Speaking of debates, Chris, if that wasn't good enough for you, I think we have a good one coming up next. Uh, They have made the rounds on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and now here on Pushing the Limits. The organization is called Students for Life. They are a very pro-life organization. And the Southwest Regional Coordinator for that organization, Jordan Britton, joins us next. You're not going to want to miss this. He's Chris Wynn. I'm Brian Shapiro. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. So glad that you can join us. As you know, boy, there's so much going on in political news, world news, national news, local news. There's so much going on. Of course, the overturning of Roe versus Wade by the Supreme Court, a hot topic that we've been discussing 
And, you know, I want to get the other side. I make no excuses for my opinions on I believe a woman should have the right to choose. But there is an organization called Students for Life. They're a pro-life organization. And I wanted to get somebody on to state their case and tell me why this is a good thing for the country. So the lady we have with us on the line right now, she is the Pacific Southwest Regional Regional Coordinator for Students for Life. She is Jordan Britton, who joins us right now on the line. Jordan, I do appreciate you coming on. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Appreciate you coming on. All right. So I know you guys have done a lot of interviews in the last week or so. Let me start by asking you this. Tell me a little bit about your organization. Yeah, I work for Students for Life of America. We are a national organization. Um, So we work with students and community members across the whole country. We're the largest organization um, in the country that works primarily with students. So we we did see, you know, um, we started in 2006 noticing that um, a lot of young people are being targeted by the abortion industry. And that's kind of where it starts with this whole idea of, you know, contraception and abortion. So we wanted to be educating young people um, on what abortion is, what it does to women, you know, um, and how to become activists in their communities and at their schools. So we work with middle school all the way through um, med and law school or through colleges um, just to train them to be pro-life activists. And we get involved in the communities as well with our new outreach for Standing With You. Gotcha. Okay, so... I know there's a loaded question, but explain to me why you think it is a good thing in this country to be telling every single woman what to do with her body. Why is that a good thing? Okay. Um, yeah, we, we don't see it uh, just as telling a woman what to do with her body. We, we want her to be able to choose motherhood if that's something that, you know, we want her to feel supported in that. Um, and we do believe that it's very extreme in America. Roe was very extreme and that it allowed abortion up to nine months for any reason. Um, and even though a lot of people you know, identify as pro-choice when they realize, does that mean, I mean, when we ask them, are you pro-choice up to birth for all, all nine months for any reason? We realize actually, no, they do want limits on abortion. Eight out of 10 Americans want limits on abortion and also want to say um, at a legislative level in their mm-hmm. state about about abortion laws. So, um, you know, this, this overruling of Roe versus Wade does not make abortion illegal across the country. It just allows the decision to go back to the state. So we right. see it now as an opportunity for people to get involved and to have a say in understood. the laws in their state. Sure, understood. Yes. And, and as you know, uh, Republican-led states, uh, abortion will be illegal. Let me start with the extremes, which is mm-hmm. rape and incest. And I think this is a very important question. I think we would both agree, and we all agree in this country, rape, incest, horrible crime to commit. It's terrible. We feel for the families and the victims with that being said are you willing to talk to a family and talk to a 13 year old girl and tell her that the government tells you you have to have that baby i mean i I just think that is i i don't know disgusting for lack of a better term uh but i want to get your opinion on this do you think that if a young girl is raped she should be forced Mm -hmm. to have that child because in some states that is going to be the case right and i do understand your concern there um Obviously, that is such a horrible situation, but we do truly see the life in the womb um, beginning at conception. So it's not that we're wanting to force this girl into a bad situation. It's it's all it's that we're looking at her needs, but also the needs of her child. And we also see the pain of the rape um, as already so traumatizing for her. Um, we know that abortion does hurt women and causes a lot of you know regret and even physical ramifications and so we we don't see abortion as a solution there what we want to do is be able to walk with her and help her heal from the rape um from the pain that she's in but also let her know that you know she has the support to be able to go through with her pregnancy not only Mm -hmm. for herself 
but for her baby. And I, I have talked to women who, you know, were raped and made that abortion decision. Um, and they told me that it actually made them feel like um, sort of a perpetrator rather than a victim um, because they had the guilt of their baby, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's so horrible when you're when you're in that horrible situation of rape. Obviously, you are completely a victim and that's that's traumatizing and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pain of that abortion is going to leave you with a lot of struggle on top of that. So we don't see it as a solution. We really want to help bring her out of that bad situation and let her know that, you know, if, if you need to place this baby in an adoptive home, we're here to help you with that. But also, if you yeah. want to choose to parent this child, we can help you with that, too. Yeah. We don't want her to have to make that choice of, yeah. um, of rape. If and sadly, yeah. abortion does cover up a lot of um, you know, a lot of women who do get raped, the the perpetrator is never tried because it, 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 it gets hidden. And so it actually abortion can uncover, I mean, keep covered a lot of um, sins of the father. Right. So that's another issue that we, we don't see abortion mm-hmm. as helping there. So if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jordan uh, Britton. She's the Pacific Southwest Regional Coordinator, pro-life organization called Students for Life. So, Jordan, help me understand this. I guess this is a, a big fundamental difference that I have with people that are pro-life. I respect mm-hmm. your opinion. I respect the opinions of people in your organization. I would never tell mm-hmm. you what to do. Right. Like I respect the fact that you're anti-abortion. Uh, and I say, yeah. listen, Jordan, if you want to have a hundred kids, your personal, your personal business, right? I'm just using it. Maybe right. that's a bad analogy, but I don't want to tell you what to do with your body. And what I try right. to tell people is you said it yourself, you and your organization, you see it as a life in the womb. I respect mm-hmm. your opinion on that. I really do. But why uh, not respect the opinions of the overwhelming majority of Americans in this country that do believe in a woman's right to choose? Now, I agree with you. Most people want limits. I want limits. I don't believe in late-term abortion unless there's a health issue. I believe a woman should be able to make a decision much earlier than that. I'm on your side on that. And most Americans are. You're right. But you would agree most Americans disagree with you. They want to give women the right to choose. So why should the minority be able to tell everybody else what to do? Um, again, that's a great question. It's not a matter of what, what we're telling you to do. It's just scientifically, it has been proven that life begins at conception. Um, and with all the medical advances that we have with ultrasounds, um, since 1973, you know, we are able to see that heartbeat begins at three weeks, that a baby can feel pain, you know, as early as almost as probably 12 weeks now with pain receptors. So it's not that we're just trying to put, put this ideology on someone else. It's just that we truly, if that is a human being, right? Um, then we have a duty to protect that life. But there are brilliant, I understand what you're saying, but there are brilliant doctors and people who even help with labor that would disagree with you on that. I think we're very divided in this country on when life begins. Your opinion is that life begins at conception. Again, totally respect your opinion, right? But as you know, there are brilliant doctors and people in this country that disagree with you. Uh, I'm one of those people that believes it's not a life unless it can survive outside the womb. But we have differences of opinion on that, and that's okay. But when you say, uh, and it's an interesting interesting debate but when you say scientifically proven that at the moment of conception when it's just a bunch of cells a lot of doctors would disagree with you on that and i think it goes back to what i said earlier i'm not trying to discount your opinion i respect your. i I, I respect your opinion jordan i think it's a good discussion but there are a lot of people that disagree with the fact that scientifically as you said this is not a yes or no thing I, i just respectfully disagree with you on that and my point is if you believe that it's a life at conception don't have an abortion. And it goes back to my original argument, which is, why not let a woman and her family make that decision? I, you know, that, that's the part, I guess, that 
is is troubling mm-hmm. to me if I'm if I'm making any sense here. No, definitely, and I think that that's the issue. Is we, I mean, the whole the whole point is that with the with the reversal of Roe, it's not like this decision and this issue is suddenly dead, right? We still have people completely divided here, um, and that's why it is the goal now of Students for Life um, to be changing the culture and to be hopefully making it so that it's not that abortion uh, shouldn't be a choice, or, or you know, we was you know we want it to be something people don't even think of because we we do believe that motherhood is beautiful and life is beautiful so it is true that we're divided but i mean 96 percent of biologists do believe that life begins at fertilization but there's a diff there's a there's a difference um some people believe that um you know life at conception and personhood are different you know that's where the that's where the gray area lies is that a lot of people think that until you're out of the womb or until you're sentient or until you know you're three months to be born, something like that. You know, there's different variations of ideas of what a person is. Um, so we have a right. long way to go in changing this culture. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it, it is our goal to get people to feel unified in the fact that if life begins, if scientifically it's a life, then it's a person too. Um, because this whole idea, you know, if you don't want an abortion, don't have one, that doesn't, that argument doesn't hold up for true for things that are immoral you know um there are just certain objective truths where you're not gonna if you do if you choose to do something to someone else that harms their body that's where choice is drawn a line right um we don't allow um you know it's it's like in the case of slavery you know we we weren't going to say if you i mean now when we know that was objectively wrong and we don't say if you don't want a slave don't have one no now it's just it's just proven in our country to be immoral to own a slave and now we believe that abortion is the new human rights issue of our time that um yes we're divided but we can't we can't just rest at we're divided because this is life and death to us jordan let me look jordan let's look at another aspect of this obviously we've the discussion here in the last 10 15 minutes has been basically about the pregnancy right and what's transpiring Mm -hmm. here let me go another direction with you because obviously it's been a heated debate across the board with respect to that what about after the child is born? What is right. your stance and what is your organization's stance when it comes to these programs? Because let's be straight up and honest about it. Okay, when it comes to Republicans, okay, when it comes to people, those that are on the right, there are a lot of people that, uh, that uh, there's a lot left to be desired. Yeah. Let's put it that way. When it comes to after the actual, when it comes to after the, the, the child is actually Let born. me add something to that, if I may, to what Chris said, because I have some of those bills that Chris yeah. is talking about. So I want to list those to you, Jordan. And Jordan, by the mm-hmm. way, I don't know whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter to me, right? right. But yeah. some of those bills that Chris is talking about, uh, the overwhelming majority of Republicans that are in office that support yeah. or, or call themselves pro-life have voted against maternity leave, universal health care, food stamps, welfare, lowering okay. prescription drugs, baby formula bill, which was just last month, the pandemic relief bill, expanding care for veterans. So my position, and I think what Chris uh, agree with me, well, is a question if you call asking, yourself yeah. pro-life, why not uh, vote for these types of, uh, you know, d- these, these things that I just brought up? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm honestly, I do not understand ever voting against a bill for maternity leave. That's one of the main things we need in our country is to acknowledge that if you're a parent, you and like not even just the mother we should have maternity and paternity leave for parents because there's nothing more beautiful and more exciting but also more demanding than being a parent so um you know maternity leave is a great thing to have and we need to be helping make it as easy as possible for people to become parents mm-hmm. um you know that that's why i think if the government did a better job of supporting 
families and mothers in crisis, they wouldn't see that they, you know, they wouldn't feel like they right. had to go to that abortion facility. They mm -hmm. would feel, wow, my government is giving me money to go on maternity leave, is helping me find resources. That's why, I mean, there's 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 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country. Sure, sure. Work, we work to get women in those doors so that, you know, they see yeah. that they're supported. And I see it as a huge detriment that our government has not stepped up. Yeah. I really don't understand that we as a society why are we voting against things that will help families, right? Agree. Um, and I think it's an issue of credibility, right? I mean, yeah, when I hear sure. someone like you talk about, you know, pro-life stuff, I want to listen. And I, I tend to listen to people more when they're consistent with their pro-life stance. And when I mention right. some of those bills that so many Republicans vote against, I think not you, I think they lose credibility when they call yeah, themselves pro-life. And I totally understand you there. Um, you know, I, I believe in life for the whole life. So I don't obviously abortion is the issue I focus on the most abolishing that. But I'm also, you know, against the death penalty. I'm against mm -hmm. um, assisted suicide. I'm against anything that is not right. helping life to thrive. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, any anything that's going to help a family be able to take in that child Right. That's the most important thing. That's the number one thing we need to be doing to helping these families. Because, sure. you know, in the end, that, that baby e either, you know, when they have that baby, that's that's their new child. That's somebody's sibling. It's like the greatest blessing on earth. You never know the impact one life is going to have. So we need to do our best to help every single mm -hmm. life, um, you know, have the potential and have sure. the life. That it's, Let's so, talk. So, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, there are negatives to women that are forced to have a child. For example, you know this, the suicide rate is going to go up. There's going to be women out there that are going, I had a woman who used to work for Planned Parenthood. She was in studio yesterday. She was sexually assaulted when she was 13. I said, what would have happened if you were forced to have that child? She said, I would have killed myself. As you know, there's going to be plenty of illegal abortions. There's going to be pills now sold on the black market. So while yeah. I understand your points and, and that uh, there are absolutely negatives, and as you mentioned, there's guilt. There's a lot of women that get an abortion mm -hmm. and i'm sure they feel guilt no question about that you're right but i'm sure you would agree with me if you force uh, a general a population of women to have the child there's also going to be negatives when it comes to suicide mm -hmm. and illegal abortion so how do we address all those issues yeah i mean that is very tricky i mean it, it is a fact that women are more likely to commit suicide if they have abortion as well so i don't see that as like a trade-off you know let them have the abortion so they won't commit suicide for having that baby we really don't know the future but it is true that we really do need to be um you know helping women to not feel like this is this is a decision that's going to just leave them you know spiraling out of control right so we do work to uh improve the foster care system and improve make, make it easier for adoption and foster care um but yeah in the end you know that's that's a human life so we don't this whole argument that you know what i might do if i have this baby that's what we want people to see we're going to help you with every single issue that comes along so that you know even if it's a struggle you know you seeing that baby face to face that's going to make all the difference mm -hmm. and i truly do believe that so i um you know, I don't I don't want to rest in this idea that, um, you know, if you have your baby, all of these bad things are going to happen because there's no way of knowing what it's going to be like. That is it. And I get that. And I'm glad that your organization does that. And you want to assist the mothers raising mm -hmm. the child. I think that is a very admirable thing that you guys are doing. But again, I go back to the issue I brought up before. If we're going to force and, and in reality, in some states in this country, that's what we're doing. We're forcing women to have that child. Then don't you think we should handle the maternity leave bill first? Don't you think we should, uh, you know, make sure that 
we have universal health care. And, yeah. and, 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 and the, the problem I have is that they overturn Roe versus Wade. Women are not are going to be forced to have children. And yet we don't have uh, the bills set forth to help those women raise those right. children. I find that very problematic. Right. That's why I think that as we pass these bills, you know, like places like Texas that passed the heartbeat bill, you know, they saw that with this new bill, that's going to be a rise in pregnancy and birth. Right. So what they did is they gave millions of dollars in funding to the pregnancy centers and to helping these women rather than giving the money to the abortion facility. Right. So um, so that's that's a solution that I see. We should be working as a society to be giving money to these places that are willing mm-hmm. to help women have babies rather than saying, you know, because I don't know if you realize this, but since the overturning of Roe, there's been a lot of big companies that have spoken out that they'll give, you know, four thousand dollar packages to women who need to travel out of state for abortion. You know, that that's a that's their solution to this problem but why why aren't they just helping women to be able to go on maternity leave right they're paying that four thousand dollar package so they Mm -hmm. don't lose money when the woman goes on maternity can i ask you about that and specifically Mm -hmm. i think it's a, a good question there are companies out there like disney Dick's Sporting Goods, that have immediately made statements and they have said, if you're an employee that works for us, you're a female, and you want to get an abortion, we will pay for you to go to Mm -hmm. another state to get that abortion. What would you say to those companies? Yeah, that's what I was just saying. Um, That's what I was bringing up, the $4,000 package. They're saying, we'll pay for you to go out of state to get an abortion. You know, they should be saying, we'll pay for the for whatever it's going to cost for you to have that baby, right? We'll help you go on maternity leave. We'll make it easy for you to stay in this job, but also still be a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, there have been women who have coming coming out of the woodwork saying that my job told me that if I didn't get that abortion, I was going to get fired. These are things that, you know, employers need to be held accountable well, yeah. to say, That's illegal. you know, yeah. life, I mean, being a parent is a beautiful thing and instead they're saying you can't do both you can't be a mother and succeed so mm-hmm. we're going to make you choose why are we making women choose why are these big organizations not stepping up and saying if you get pregnant we're going to do whatever it takes to get you baby formula and diapers and all the things you need and parental counseling all the things you need to be able to embrace that life and yeah. also stay and work let me right? ask you so- this let me ask you this um uh, give you a hypothetical situation here 15 year old girl she loses her virginity she has unprotected sex she makes a mistake she's only 15 years old mm-hmm. uh she's being raised by a mom no father in the picture the mom is working two or three jobs household income 20 25 not only can they not afford the child but you have a 15 year old girl that can't even take care of herself and is not ready to be a mother the mother and the child both come to the conclusion i want to have an abortion That is something that we want to do. It is the best thing for us. What do you say to that 15-year-old girl and that mother who in their head have already made that decision? How do you convince them otherwise? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is to let that that young girl know that I know it seems like the world is falling apart right now. But you are strong. You are strong enough to do this. We love you. And we're here to walk you through that every step of the way, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think the biggest thing is talking to that girl first, letting her feel that she does not have to make that choice. Most women who choose abortion, it's because they said that if they had just had one person to stand up to them and say, you don't have to do this. I love you and I'm going to help you through this. They wouldn't have done it. So even if she doesn't have the support of the father or her parents or whoever it may be, I want her to know that she is loved and she can do this. That's where I, I truly do believe true empowerment of women embraces the fact that they can 
be mothers too, right? So just letting them know you're not alone. I can help you. Um, whatever you need. Is it money? Is it um, a place to stay? You know, there are people who open their homes who help these women. And that's what I would say first is that I love you and I want to help you through this. And then also, you know, mm -hmm. if she's willing to talk about her baby, just let her know, you know, being a mom is going to be mm -hmm. the greatest blessing. If you can just get through this, mm -hmm. these nine months, it's, it seems like a tunnel to get through. Right. If, but yeah. I mean, it's an if but we're going to walk right. her through it. And, and I know she's young, but it's like, there are so many women who almost had an abortion and they didn't. And mm -hmm. now they're be, they're able to testify that, man, mm -hmm. it's just the greatest thing that I yeah, ever did. I think I there are some, you're right. And, and, and as you know, there are some on the other side as well that say, you know, while it, it was an easy decision for me, I'm, I'm, you know, the abortion was the right decision for me. It would have changed my life in a bad way. So I think it goes both mm -hmm. ways. You have women on one side that'll say that you have women on the other side, but listen, mm -hmm. I'll close in saying this. I think you come from the right place. I believe your organization comes from the right place. I think you have a good heart. You care about these women, and, and I appreciate that about you, and I think you want to help these, these mothers, and, and I appreciate that as well. Uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. The problem I have is there's so many Republicans out there that call themselves pro-life, and then when right. you look at their voting record, it says the opposite. And I think before we force any woman to have a child, I think these bills need to be put in place to make sure that if that woman has the child, uh, that child can be raised with all the help that that mother needs. I, I think that's issue number right. one. But hey, we'll have to leave it there. Jordan, I really do appreciate you making the case. I, I appreciate your time and, and answering all of our questions. I think it's a discussion that everybody needs to have in a respectful way. And I do appreciate you coming on and talking to us, Jordan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And appreciate Students for Life is not religious or political we are we do have people from all backgrounds so that mm -hmm. helps if you ever want to talk to you know people republican democrat you know we're, we're just here yeah. to be passing these bills to mm -hmm. make it as accessible as possible for mm -hmm. these families. well i appreciate you uh, adding that in there as well because i don't think a re religion should be a part of this conversation quite frankly right. and i appreciate you saying that yeah. jordan Britton, thank you so much for your time appreciate thank you, you so much brian have a great day you, you guys. too you too uh students for life jordan Britton. um all right chris um what are your reactions to some of her answers it's textbook. Uh, yeah, I was uh, uh, essentially. I understand her viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Her viewpoint happens to be in the minority of this country. Mm -hmm. The whole kit and caboodle of this entire issue and what's transpired over the past five to seven days is that there's a minority of this country that has a religious ideology that is making determinations. And making decisions for the majority of the country, which does not feel the same way. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. well, we can break down the numbers all you want. We can talk about uh, you, you know, whether or not when we think a person is a person, mm -hmm. when we think that a human being is, uh, is viable in the womb, all this stuff. Right. The bottom line is this. And she talked about how they're not a religious organization and they're not a political organization. Eh, that's, that's, again, pro very problematic. Because you're an organization that represents a viewpoint, mm -hmm. that represents, you stand for something. And it is impossible to avoid any connection with religion or politics when it comes to this issue of abortion. And look, we kept talking about, and look, I understand that pro-life is, or life is in the name of their organization. But like many of my colleagues, aka Democrats, have pointed out over the last week, or years when it comes to this discussion. I am extremely hesitant at this point of calling these people pro-life. 
They're not pro-life. You can be anti-abortion. They are anti-abortion. That's what they are. They are anti-abortion. Do you agree with me? And that's it. So, I mean, she seems very nice. She seems someone that is absolutely caring when it comes to mothers and when it comes to this issue. But there is the reality of the situation in the United States of America where the reproductive rights of women are getting trampled on here in 2022, mm-hmm. and we are moving backwards. Do you agree when with it me comes, when it comes Chris, to this issue uh, from 50 years ago? Do you agree? That's with, it. Do you agree with me, Chris, that you can be pro-life and also be uh, pro-woman's right to choose? Because that's me. I consider myself pro-life. Uh, anti, I, I can't. I, I'm so tired. Of the use of pro-life when it comes well, to... Well, I'm just saying, yeah, I consider myself pro-life. pro-life. Anti-abortion. And I'm, I, I want the woman the right to choose. I'm a pro-life person. I want welfare, food stamps, yeah. government programs to help people. I'm pro-life. But I also want a woman... I'm not going to tell a woman what to do with her body either. You can be both. You can be pro... That's, I agree with you. I don't like the term pro-life either. And I brought some of those... Listen, here's what this comes down to, okay? And, and folks... This is just the bottom line here. Well, if that's they, what I was saying. If yeah. a woman wants to get an abortion, she's still going to be able to get an abortion. You're just making it a lot more inconvenient for her. She's going to have to go to another state. She's going to have to travel. She's going to have to go somewhere else. And there are going to be some women that don't have the, the maybe the means to do so. But for the most part, a woman is still going to be able to get one. You're just making it a lot more difficult for her to do so. I think this is going to backfire on Republicans. The overwhelming majority of people in this country believe in a woman's right to choose. By the way, it doesn't mean that we are pro-abortion. There's nobody standing up jumping for joy when a woman but gets Brian, an abortion. But, Brian, that's the bad faith argument that they make. That is the bad faith argument that, that really comes into play here, okay? The people on, on her side, okay, and people, the people that are calling themselves pro-life, people that are against abortion, people that are saying life begins at conception, okay? They also toss out those terms that those of us who are pro-choice when the real definition of pro-choice for us is you can choose to have an abortion. You can also choose not to have an abortion. That's also pro-choice. It doesn't mean that we're pro-abortion. And that gets, again, I'm getting upset right now and yelling on the air, but this is the passion that has been exemplified for the past week plus in this country. People are furious, and they have a legitimate argument because this is not about us, and again, when I mean us, I'm talking about people who are pro-choice, I'm talking about Democrats that, are, that, that have that viewpoint. We are not pro-abortion. We do not celebrate the action of an abortion. We are not sitting here loving, you point it out all the time on your show, how you know, you know I'm, not, I'm not someone who supports late-term abortion. What decent person does? No decent person does support late-term abortion. Well, the idea, Chris, Nobody wants to see the, that. The, the idea, so Chris, it's, it's, the, again, idea, the, idea the, the point I'm trying to make is, and the point you're making, yes. which I agree with, is the idea that people on the alt-right want to make it out to be like people like you and me are right. jumping on trampolines 100%. when a woman gets an abortion is, a, is absurd. First of all, let me be yeah. very clear. I sympathize with these women. Uh, for some people, it's an easy decision, maybe a financial, whatever. But for a lot of these women, it's also a very difficult decision and a decision they have to live with the rest of their lives. I am the last person that is going to tell a woman what to do with her body. We are not celebrating abortion. You know what we should do in this country? And the celebrate is the long term. But understand that we live in the United States of America and a woman should have the right to choose for herself her own decisions with her health and what to do with her body. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care. 
You can believe in the tooth fairy for all you want. By the way, I'm Jewish, okay? There are synagogues across the country that are following lawsuits with their estates. Why? Because in the Jewish religion, they do not consider it a sin to have an abortion. So who are you on the alt-right Christians? Who the hell do you think you are to tell me that your religion is right and my religion is wrong? F you! Who the heck are you to tell me that your God and your religion is right? You know what I don't do? What you do. I don't tell you that your religion is wrong. We all have different religions. We all have different faiths. It's our right as Americans. My religion says something different than your religion. I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. And that is what the alt-right Christians in this country are doing. They are saying, my religion is right. What I say goes, what my God says go. And you're a bunch of idiots. This woman who we just had on is a nice lady. She didn't interject religion. And while I disagree with some of the stuff that she said, there are people on the right that call themselves pro-life that put themselves on a pedestal. My God says this. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian. My God says this. I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And that is the most hypocritical thing that you could possibly say as a religious person. And I am proud to say that my religion doesn't say that. My religion doesn't say that. My religion doesn't say what we say goes and everybody else is wrong. That is the problem right now with what is going on in the Supreme Court, what is going on with the alt-right, because they all justify it as, this is my religion, this is my faith, this is my belief, I believe it's the moment of conception. Not everybody, and by the way, she made the statement, it's scientifically proven. No, it's not. There are brilliant doctors in this country that would argue that at the moment of conception, it is not a human life. So when anybody tells you that, that it's scientifically proven, no, it's not. You have a bundle of cells, and there are some people that think it's life at conception, and there are brilliant doctors and and people who even, you know, help women when they're in labor every day that will tell you differently. So don't you say, like, this is cut and dry, that at the moment of conception, it's life. Ben Shapiro's of the world will say that, and they are wrong, because there are a lot of people out there that disagree. And the people that disagree should be able to do what they want with their bodies. And the Ben Shapiro's of the world, or the women like that who believe that, should have the right to have 100 kids if they want to. We live in a free country, and right now we are going back 50 years. What's next? Are we going to be against gay marriage? Clarence Thomas wants to attack all people who are homosexuals in this country. He basically said it. He said that he's going to go after, you know, the gay marriage thing. Gay marriage is going to, I'm telling you, we're going back as long as the Supreme Court is run by these right-wing radicals, gay marriage will be illegal. Becoming a transgender could be illegal. I'm telling you, that's what, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Clarence Thomas said the other day. These people are dangerous. We're not just, and that's, by the way, that's what Kamala Harris said the other day. She did an interview on CNN, and she's right. This is just the beginning. You think, you think this is it? These members, these radical members of the Supreme Court, it starts here with abortion and overturning Roe versus Wade. By the way, I never thought in my lifetime that over, Roe versus Wade would have been overturned. What's next, ladies and gentlemen? Clarence Thomas gave you a preview, and Clarence Thomas and Mike Pence are the only ones to actually say it. These other people are thinking it, but they're not saying it. Brett Kavanaugh is not going to say it. Mark my words, all these people that were trying to get onto the Supreme Court that did, the Gorsuch, Kavanaugh's, Barrett, they knew what they were going to do. 
They're not stupid people. They might be crazy radicals, but they're not stupid. They lied. They lied in front of members of the Senate. They lied. They misled the American people. They misled it so they can get on the Supreme Court. And this was a scheme that has been going on for decades. They, were, they knew they were lying, and they lied under oath. And while they'll never be prosecuted for that, they knew that this day was going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, gay marriage is next. Our rights are next. If you are gay, look out. And that is why I say on this show, as someone who is not a Democrat, you better look out for who you vote for in the future. You're a female. If you are gay in this country, they're coming after you. They're coming after women's rights. They're going after gay marriage next. Forget about the gun control issue. We are going back how many years in this country? 50. So it's sad. I'm always up for having a respectful conversation, but I will not tolerate anybody saying their religion is right and my religion is wrong. I will not tolerate that language. And that was a respectful conversation that you just had with that woman. What was problematic, though, Brian, Mm -hmm. across the board, is that there are legal ramifications of what's transpired here with respect to the Supreme Court. Look, I get what a lot of people who are anti-abortion, they say— Well, why is everybody up in arms? The Supreme Court does not legislate. All they do, it's the Supreme Court. All they do is approach things from the perspective of the law. Right. Yes, but we all understand how this country works from a political standpoint. Mm -hmm. We understand the reality that there are trigger laws already in place in, you know, roughly half Mm -hmm. the states across the country. No question. Where, because of this decision... By the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. because this is a big deal, okay, these states are going to take steps legislatively that's going to impact the country in a well, big way. Well, this and that's story, why it matters. This story, so, Chris, is not going away. We're going to no. continue to discuss it uh, later on in the week, and uh, we'll have some more guests on to talk about it. By the way, Governor Steve Sisolak will be joining us on the show Thursday, as well as Congresswoman Dina Titus. So we will be talking to both of them about this topic as well. Hey, I want to tell you guys about uh, Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care, located on 6125 West Sahara Avenue. They're taking care of me, a little testosterone st- therapy. I'm going to get bulked up, Chris. I'm going to look like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, eventually. I know that might be hard to uh, hard to uh, have that image of Brian Shapiro with a six-pack. No, but with all seriousness, uh, great uh, great place to go. You know, you go into some urgent care facilities and you got to wait for hours, not this place. I was in and out of there in 20 minutes. You don't even need to make an appointment. You can give them a call, though, 702-248-0554. They offer help with just about anything. It could be a car accident uh, to wellness exams. And if you uh, don't have insurance. They're only going to charge you $95 self-payment uh, when you go in there. So please check them out. Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. All right, Chris, when we come back, we heard about this Colin Kaepernick workout mm-hmm. with the Raiders a few weeks back. Well, you're not going to believe what the legend Warren Sapp said about that workout. It's interesting stuff. Get your thoughts on that when we come back. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. <laughs> All right, welcome back. It's Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. We're just having a little bit of fun with that uh, very famous Stallone's commercial that uh, was uh, read so well by uh, Chris Wynn. Brian, we need audio and video of in-between breaks here live at studio. Yes, no, we don't want to see that. Chris just exposed his genitalia to Dumbchuck. It's terrible. I got to clean up some vomit that's in the corner of the studio. Anyway, welcome back. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. Although if it did, somebody would vomit. Uh, Anyway. 
Uh, I want to tell you guys about a bar that myself and Christian Wynn attend regularly. That is Jackson's Bar and Grill, located at Flamingo and Jones. Brian Slipok and the gang do a great job over there. Great food, great atmosphere. You walk in there, you mention my name, the name of the show. You get $10 free slot play signing up for a player's card. The month is ending. I was just told July 1st is Friday. But if you get in there before Friday, well, actually, that doesn't make any sense because Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they had a promotion this week where if you get 500 points, you get $50 free slot play. Sorry, you don't get that, but you do get $10 free slot play. Sign up for a player's card. Mention my name. Oh, and you do get another $20 in free slot play when uh, you reach 100 points uh, signing up for a player's card for the first time. So please check them out. Jackson's Bar and Grill located Flamingo and Jones. Great gaming bar. All right, Chris. So we know that uh, Colin Kaepernick had his little workout slash tryout mm-hmm. with the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, some of the Raiders staff, they, they weren't really, they were very tight-lipped, right? They weren't saying, they said it went well. They, they're not willing to say anything else. And as you know, Kaepernick has not been signed. Well... Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. Uh, we could all agree, uh, great football player. He was awesome. Pro bowler. Uh, personality. Very outspoken. Very outspoken guy. Individual. So it's, yeah. This is very interesting because I trust Warren Sapp. I don't think he makes things up. He's never been that guy that, uh, you know, that lie. Warren Sapp on a podcast was asked about the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. I want you to listen to what he had to say about the workout. Listen to this. I mean, do you see Kaepernick coming back? I mean, he no. he tried out no. with the Raiders recently, but I heard the tryout wasn't all that great. I heard it was a disaster. I heard it was one of the worst workouts ever. I'm wondering how the hell this happened and the tape didn't get out, right? I mean, somebody wasn't over the over the fence or nothing? Come on, man. We, we live in a world right now where you put a drone up. Hey, it ain't like they can stop you. They ain't going to stop the workout. Somebody there's a drone up here. We don't know who this is. I mean, what? Come on. Let's, let's, let's run this. They don't even send them up the, the, the ladder anymore. You know, we used to go out to practice. Send the guy up the thing. He's shooting practice. off. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> okay. So, one quote, one of the worst workouts ever, according to Warren Sapp. Do you believe him, number one? And number two, do you think this is the end of Colin Kaepernick as far as any of these tryouts are concerned? Well, I absolutely believe Warren. And the full disclosure here, I covered Warren Sapp when he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. In or, I mean, nice guy. He's from Orlando, Florida. Came back to Orlando many times. I worked in the Orlando market. And, of course, he uh, went to Apopka High School there. And he, I've had very many, very many engaging conversations with Warren. Let's put it that way. When it comes to a number of topics. So it's not surprising to me whatsoever, his viewpoint here. I absolutely agree. Look, here's the deal, Brian. Right? And here's the deal to the listeners out there. You're, you've been out of the game for five, six years. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that you're just not going to have it anymore. You're not going to be that guy. Even when he was you a were backup. You back, when you were, back when you were a starting quarterback in the league mm-hmm. with the San Francisco 49ers. Back when you took them to a Super Bowl. You're not going to be that guy that's going, that's going to go out there and make a, make a huge difference. It's very much a possibility Colin Kaepernick could be done from, from a, a standpoint of uh, playing football. Not shocking whatsoever. So I don't. This isn't exactly breaking news. I think people, why people care about this, obviously, because Warren Sapp's a Hall of Famer, right? He's one of the all-time greats, and he's a guy who is a big personality. And hearing a comment like this from him, I just think solidifies what a lot of people believe, that Colin Kaepernick, they brought him in, they looked at him, doesn't look like he's a great fit for the the Raiders and their plan moving forward at the quarterback position and and regardless of, of uh, yeah. what they think uh, he would be as far as uh, as far as a locker room presence or any of that stuff they their belief so, is that he just doesn't have it anymore. so here's my opinion on it uh, yeah. and I, I 
tend to agree with you. Uh, you're right. Five, six years ago, what was Colin Kaepernick? He was, at best, an average backup quarterback. No, this, no, 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 no. Colin Kaepernick was a starting quarterback in the NFL, Brian, for four uh, years three, ago. four years. Four three, four years. years took his, and, and he Sam, took, led the San okay. Francisco 49ers so to the Super Bowl. Me ref- so let me rephrase Okay, so hold on. Let me well, he's not, well, he wasn't a backup. Let me, let me rephrase was, that. Yeah. Four, three, four years ago, right. Colin Kaepernick was an average backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. That is when this whole thing started. It didn't start uh, with the taking a knee and all that stuff uh, until he was a backup. Now, with that being said... He has not played competitive football in several years. He's not getting any younger. When he left the NFL, he wasn't even a starting quarterback. He was a backup quarterback. So I think one could argue right now, he might not even be good enough to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. I believe what Mark Davis did is he did the politically correct thing to do. Because I think it makes the Raiders look good, and it makes most franchises look good, to give Colin Kaepernick a shot. Doesn't mean you have to sign him. Give him a workout. You get a little bit of buzz. You say, all right, the owner's giving you a shot. Politic- politically correct, the right thing to do for Mark Davis to do that. And by the way, I don't have any problem with that. That's fine. Give him a workout. No problem. Nobody within the Raiders organization is going to say what Warren Sapp said because it'll make the organization look bad to be saying something like that. They're not going to say that. Everything was fine. You know, everything They could say that it was good, but deep down behind closed doors, they could be saying to themselves, no, he's just not good enough to be in the NFL anymore. That's what I think happened here. I think they gave him a tryout. He didn't look great. He certainly didn't look good enough probably to get a position with the Raiders, and he's probably not good enough right now to be a legitimate, legitimate backup quarterback in the NFL. He's not getting any younger. He hasn't been in the league in a very long time. And by the way, Colin Kaepernick is going to be just fine. He's got a lot of money. He's made a lot of money off of Nike. I've said from the beginning, and we're getting into the political um, aspect of this, I said from the beginning, I'd like to believe that Kaepernick's heart was in the right place when he spoke to that former soldier uh, about, hey, what should I do? I want to you know, take a knee. I'd like to think his heart was in the right place, and he wasn't looking at this as, hey, I want to become more popular or get a Nike contract. I'd like to give Colin Kaepernick the benefit of the doubt. He's done a lot of stupid things since then, you know, wearing the pig socks, depicting all police officers as pigs, you know, the Fidel Castro shirt that he wore. He's said and done a lot of stupid things. I never considered Colin Kaepernick to be a very intelligent person. Doesn't mean his heart isn't in the right place, but I never considered him a very bright guy. There are people in the NFL that have done a lot for the black community. There are people in the NFL uh, that have spoken to law enforcement, have gone to Washington. Colin Kaepernick's just not one of those guys. The guy's never even voted before. Um, With that being said, I still give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he comes from the right place. But this whole idea that he ruined his career, his career was just about ending anyway. He wasn't getting any field time with the 49ers. He was a backup quarterback. He wasn't getting any consistent time. He wasn't the Super Bowl quarterback that he once was. His career was ending. Now, if it was six or seven years ago, that would be a different story. He was a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. He was probably a top 10 quarterback in the NFL at that time. Uh, Not the case when he left the NFL. So can we just stop it with the nonsense that He'd be starting in the NFL. He's a legitimate starting quarterback. It's absolute nonsense. Absolute let me, nonsense. Let me put back, push back on a couple things that you said there because there's a couple aspects and ways we can look at this. There is what he has left in the tank now, right, in 2022. And there's going to be people out there who agree with you and say, yeah, he's not really, uh, you know, he, he shouldn't even be thought of. Because when you think about a starting quarterback or a backup or even third string, I guess, but a starting a backup, you're talking about, at least 64 quarterbacks, right, in the NFL when you're talking about starters and backups. There's proponents, Brian, that will disagree with you and say, hey, 
this guy is a guy that could be talked about maybe as a guy that's top 60 or top 62, top 60. There are a few teams in the NFL where he's better than their backup quarterback. So there's that viewpoint by those people. And then there's the aspect where we, we get down to brass tacks, right? Where, you talk, where we say, look, the Raiders brought him in. And when it comes to the Raiders, they don't see him in their future. He does not look like, it's not a situation where with the silver and black, he would make it any impact or be on the team. So they, they just decide, hey, we're not going to sign. Let me, now look, and I'm also going to push back on a couple of things you also said. You talked about hold on, how, let me just address that before, and then I'll let you finish. Let me just yeah, address what you just it's said. It's a valid point, what right. I just said. Okay, there, there, might be, there might be a few teams out there with a few backup quarterbacks where you could possibly make the argument that right now Colin Kaepernick is better than them. Yes. However, the owners are making a decision which I probably would agree with, which is if we sign Kaepernick, it's not worth the headache and the media frenzy and the circus to sign him as a backup quarterback when we already have a backup quarterback that maybe might not be as good as Kaepernick, but it's not worth the stress but it doesn't and the media come with circus the baggage. to You're sign You're injecting him. the politics into it. I get it. You know, that, which and is that's, fair. And that's a very fair thing, yes. But I'm talking, I'm just talking strictly about a talent. And that's what a lot of proponents of Colin Kaepernick, right? Even for the last three, four years, because let's be honest about it, Colin Kaepernick, as far as far as being on the field, he's kind of gone away. He's it hasn't really been he hasn't really been addressed from an on-field standpoint. It's just kind of he's been kind of put on the back burner when it comes to NFL teams. Yeah, they don't want to deal with it because of the political aspects. That I don't he blame them. With him. And so that so he really hasn't been talked about. So. Uh, that, that's why I was kind of pushing back on, on some of the descriptions you're making. You're talking about how you know three uh, three years ago he was already it's not on. Help your team. There's, win. There's, look, there's people back three four years ago to the to the point you were making. This, you were saying three four years ago he was washed up. Why I don't it, it's, I don't understand why even teams would even look at him because he was his career was almost over anyway. There's people that would absolutely push back on that, Brian. That are football experts that say, oh, no 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 no, let's not so fast. Okay, this is Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick was still you know absolutely. Especially back in 2017, 2018, there were situations maybe across the NFL where teams had quarterback issues or things going on where their quarterback sucked and it it wasn't going well. And you could have absolutely made a case from a talent standpoint that they could have brought Colin Kaepernick in. Now, we all understand the reality of the situation, right, and from his politics and all that went on and all that baggage, why teams didn't do it. But... As the kids say these days, let's not get it twisted and act like Colin Kaepernick back in 2017-18 wasn't better, wasn't a guy that could have been a top 60 quarterback in the league. He absolutely could have been. So I, I was just trying to point out that uh, you know there's some there 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 is some perspective out there and some opinions and viewpoints that would differ from you when it comes to what Colin Kaepernick brings to the table as a football player. There's a reason why he is not in the NFL right now. And for the most well, part... Well, there's a number of reasons and why. And for the most yeah. part, in my opinion, for the most part, it's because he's just not very good anymore. Uh, you can uh, make the argument of uh, the political ramifications of signing mm-hmm. him, and a lot of people will make that argument. The bottom line is, in my personal opinion, I don't care what team you put Colin Kaepernick on today, he's really not going to help your team win. He's not going to be a factor. He's a backup quarterback at best. He's not going to get a lot of time. You can make the argument he's, he might be better than a few backups in the league, and that's fine. But again, it's a, if I'm an owner, the last person I want to sign is Colin Kaepernick. I don't want to deal with the media frenzy. I don't want to deal... We're not talking about a guy that's going to help you get to a Super Bowl, okay? 
that would be different. We're not talking about a guy that's going to help get you to the playoffs. We're talking about, at best, a backup quarterback that is probably not going to see a lot of time on the field. And to me, that is not worth the headache and the circus that would come along with signing Colin Kaepernick. We'll see. Well, Chris, we have some interesting guests lined up uh, later this week. I know you'll be listening. Uh, kind of a big deal when you get the actual governor of yeah, the state of Nevada yeah, coming on your show, Brian, yeah, because he does that. not do a whole lot of local well, stuff. I'll even take it a step further. This yeah. is the first local interview he will be doing since yep. learning that Joe Lombardo will be his opponent. So he's going to be joining us on the show. Governor Steve Sisolak will be joining us on Thursday. I will ask him, what do you make of the fact that people on the extreme right call you a dictator? Now, I find that to be ridiculous, but uh, we'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about Lombardo. We'll ask him about uh, abortion. We'll ask him about gun control. We'll ask him about the January 6th uh, hearings. There's so many... COVID-19, Shapiro. Absolutely. We'll ask him about COVID-19. So, uh, Dina Tadis is going to be joining us later on in the week as well. Congresswoman Dina Tadis. I love love her accent. I really do. I love it. So, Dina Tadis is going to be joining us as well. Uh, I'm sweating in studio, as Numchuck is. It's almost like Delilah's sitting next to Chris. It's very strange. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that was a little joke. I had to throw that one in there. Chris makes a sweat in studio. Why is that, Numchuck? Can you... Can you, can you we exp- get all kinds of fired up and Numchuk, amped up why in here sometimes. Because it's yes. been crazy in here today. It has. It has. Why? why? Would you say it's my fault? We have hot-button guests. You bring in hot-button guests, including guest hosts sometimes, Chuck, Ryan. why has it been crazy including in Including the guest host today. across no from you right now. Why? why I have no idea at all. No, Chris always gets things fired up. I do. He always gets things fired up. Uh, But anyway, hero that is. (laughs) That was. uh, It's been a. It's been an interesting show with Mm -hmm. some interesting guests. Let's put it that way. But that's what I love to do here uh, on pushing the limits. Is we mix it up. Always fun having Chris in studio to to do that with us. No, no doubt about that. All right, nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have some fun on the show tomorrow as well. We got some very special guests lined up for you. Please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Pushing Limits LV, where we broadcast the show every day with video. Uh, Appreciate Chris being here, and that's a wrap, folks. Uh, Folks, can't even talk now. Have a great day, everybody.